seated. If you would take out your Bibles with me and open them up to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 12. While you do that, I would like to share with you a little bit about uh, the trip that I was on. Uh, many of you know, uh, it was a uh, Got back last Friday from a two-week trip into South Sudan. I was with West Bentley and Far Reaching Ministries, and that ministry uh, in South Sudan reaches out and, and trains the chaplains for the South Sudanese army. And I was specifically over there for a two-week period where they were bringing chaplains back in from fighting on the front lines and to bring them back in for a couple of weeks of encouragement and just to, to share the word of God with them. And it was just an amazing trip. My trip started, the first 24 hours of it was spent on airplanes and in airports as I flew from here to, to Africa, and uh, flew from here to Detroit, Detroit to Amsterdam, where I met up with these three guys and two others from Utah. The one on the right there in the glasses, that's uh, Pastor Joe McCormick from a, from a Calvary Chapel in Utah. The other two guys in this picture and two others went along with him. He's, they're from his church, and uh, they train the chaplains because, again, they are fighting soldiers in hand-to-hand -hand combat, and these guys are amazing guys. This is actually their fifth trip over, so it's nice to go with some guys who have been over there several times and just kind of follow along with them, knowing the ropes and everything. And the guy in the middle there, uh, he's a really good guy to call my friend. Um, his name is Chris, and uh, he, he is a Marine. He is Special Forces. He is on the bomb squad, and uh, he knows not only how to dismantle, dismantle bombs, but human beings and all that kind of stuff. So he's a great guy to know as my friend. And so I uh, met up with these guys also um, on the trip. We got to our guest house there the first night while we were in Uganda uh, before we actually flew in our little planes into South Sudan. These four, along with two others, are pastors in Russia. And that's another ministry that Wes has with far-reaching ministries to reach into Russia in the church there and to minister to them. They came over and they were teaching as well uh, alongside of us in the sessions. We actually had five teaching sessions a day um, with the chaplains, and so we rotated as pastors sharing those responsibilities. But uh, Wes also wanted for us as pastors, Joe and I as the pastors in America, to minister to these guys and to just encourage them as they're facing very, very different challenges than we do here. Uh, very you know, smaller churches in Russia and, and dealing with uh, the, 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 the situation over there. So it was really a blessing to get to know them and serve with them. Here I am with a couple of them. Uh, four, two, uh, three of them spoke English, three of them did not. So it was an interesting, uh, interesting dynamic with that. Here I am with a, another one of the, the pastors in Russia. We called him Liam because he looked and sounded just like Liam Neeson. So... And here's the whole group. This is the, the, the pastors and those that are there um, in the, the, that were doing the teaching. The, the compound is located in, in South Sudan in a town called Nimali. Uh, we went into the town one day and walking through and uh, just the, the total poverty that is there. Um, really exposed to that. This is, this is just a picture, but this went on for a couple of miles in either direction. Um, and you could see that, the, see that little panel that's right there leaning up to there. Those little solar panels are everywhere, and they run just little lights that are in the, in the shops that are along there. Uh, there's one gas station in Nimali, and there's one pump at that gas station, and this is what it looks like. <laughs> um, all of those motorcycles are actually taxis, 
uh, people jump on the back of these motorcycles and go where they, they need to go, and they drive like crazy. I mean, they are zipping in and out of traffic and going everywhere, but that's how people get around. And uh, there was a guy with an entrepreneurial spirit about 100 yards down the road from there uh, selling gas this way. Um, uh, in those little water bottles, he'd fill them up and sell them a liter at a time at a much inflated price than to have them wait in line just down the road there. Well, Inside the compound, uh, it's a few acres, like three, I think it's three and a half or four acres that is completely surrounded. Um, but you can see the white wall in the back there on top of that razor wire. And uh, this is the compound for far-reaching ministries where the chaplains are trained. Um, here's another, another view of that. Inside of the walls is Calvary Chapel Nimely. And uh, really a, a, just a neat place. This is where we did all of the teaching and had the Sunday morning service there. Here's a picture of the courtyard for the area that we stayed in where the pastors were, the rooms that we had. Notice uh, the ladies cleaning in the background there. Wes shared with us that several years ago he bought brooms and mops and stuff and had them brought over from America and they wouldn't use them. They wanted to continue to use the, the, the way that they have. They actually have a handful of straw that they fan out and almost like an umpire cleaning off home plate. That's how they cleaned this entire area. And look how spotless it is. They continued all day. They would continue going throughout the entire compound. And the, the two or three times a day, they'd do this in our little section. And it was just, it was spotless the entire time. Amazing servants that they had there. This is a picture of my room that I had. Here's a picture of my roommate the first day. <laughs> Um, and I decided I wanted to have a room to myself, so he didn't last long, but I took a picture first. Here's a, here's a picture of, of dinner one evening and the process of making it and cooking it. Um, <laughs> these ladies, all day, from a couple hours before dawn until after dark, cooking, this is the kitchen, for 200 men, cooking breakfast, lunch, and dinner. It was an amazing thing to see. I, I, I was blown away when I finally said, you got to go see the kitchen. And I went over there. They, they have fires go, fire going underneath there, and they keep it going all day long, and they do all of the cooking all day there. Just amazing. Um, here's the bread ovens. The bread that they had was just phenomenal. They, people have asked me, what was, the, what was the weirdest thing you ate over there? And my answer is, I don't know. I... Uh, <laughs> I didn't ask. I just ate what was put in front of me. And uh, the food was really, really actually very good and, uh, and plenty of it. I wanted to lose some weight while I was over there. I thought I would. I didn't. Um, here's, the, here's the pet that they have on the, on the campus there. See the rope around his waist there? And he's got this little bog that he lives in. And if you want to see him, you just tug on the rope and he comes right out. Not very happy about it, but he does. One of the neat ministries that Wes and, and Far Reaching Ministries does there, they have a well, a freshwater well, and that's extremely expensive to, to have a freshwater well. So they have this, and whenever the, the sun is shining, they open up the gates and they welcome people from the community to come in and get water. And you can see all of the buckets that are lined up there, the containers, and all day, every day while I was there, that pump, and it's a hand pump, was going. It never stopped as people would come in and get the water that they needed for their, their families. We would gather together as pastors every morning 
um, uh, at about five o'clock, and we would pray for hour, hour and a half for for the chaplains for different things going on. It was just a just a great time of of, of sweet fellowship with the Lord and prayer. But we did that every morning, and then after after prayer, we would go and we would have breakfast, and then one of the chaplains would come in and actually share a devotion with us, and that was a, that was just amazing to hear. I'll share with you one of them uh, here in just a moment. And then we would go into, uh, into the area uh, in there, that's Calvary, the inside of Calvary Chapel, Nimely, and we would do the teaching. There's Wes teaching one of the sessions to the guys along with the interpreter next to him. And I, uh, I did take some video of the chaplains worshiping, so I'd like to show you some of that. It's, pretty, it's amazing. <laughs> Another one, the next one I have here is that you can see that the hand motions, they could say, grab Satan, throw him on the ground, and stomp on him. It was just great. One of the special nights was a night where we all gathered around a campfire and then worship broke out there too. Listen for the guys singing hallelujah. time of worship that we had over there. That guy, that hallelujah, he say that all the time. He just, hallelujah. And I just, it was, and I had him record, sing it into my phone a couple of times. I recorded it. I'm going to have that set as my text notification, I think. So just so I can remember, remember him with that. And the thing that just struck me so much with their their worship, and the worship that I, I'm going to share a little bit more with you in the, the village as they gathered together to worship, is the joy, the absolute joy in their worship. And to, again, remember the conditions that they live in, so much different than what, what we have. And all the things that we take for granted, they have no clue of. And the joy and the passion and the love for Jesus just coming out in their worship, it was, it was truly amazing. 
I did this again. I'm supposed to skip through that picture while the video is showing. Here, after, after we would have the sessions, there was a little break in between. They said each day we had five. They lasted about an hour, and the guys sat there, and they couldn't wait, hanging on every word as we shared from them with the, from the Word of God. But then we'd have break time in between, and here I am at, uh, getting to know some of these guys. It was just great, sweet time going through and meeting each, each of these guys. The guy in the shirt with the letters on it, this particular one I put in to remind me I have nothing to complain about. I was sharing with them. You know that I, had, I was missing my wife and I had a chance to talk to her just a few minutes before I sat down and talked with these guys. And I said, you know, I haven't seen her in a few days. It had been a couple of days since I talked to her on the phone. And this guy started laughing and he said, it's been over a month since I've talked to my wife and over a year since I've seen her. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> All right. So... So many things like that. I, I, I said, you know, Lord, I, I have nothing to complain about. You've been so good to me. And I, I, I Lord, I'm not going to complain anymore. And then all week long, I find myself complaining. I'm like, Lord, forgive me. I just, again, so, so easily we fall back into that. But what a great group of guys. Brought over a couple of soccer balls, and they got plenty of use. Um, in, in the break times. We sp- I want to talk to you about some individual chaplains here. And we sponsor, as a church, two of them. I don't know if you're aware of that, but since Wes came here a little over a year ago, we have adopted basically two of them. And we, we send money to support them, and we'd ask that you continue to pray for them. One of them, his name is Samuel, and here's a picture of me with him. And uh, his wife's name is Maria, and he has four children, and that was his specific prayer request, that we would just keep his family in prayer. The other one, his name is Peter, and he's the one in the green here. Um, and his, his wife's name is, is Helena, and his daughter's name is Grace. And uh, again, he asked that we just, just keep his family in prayer. Josh and Holly Compton, members of our church here, they sponsor this man. His name is Daniel. And uh, his, his, he has, his wife's name is Jane with four kids. Neat, neat guy. I got to know him pretty well while I was over there. Talked with him quite a bit. And again, praying for his family. Gary and Julie Pierce sponsor this guy. His name is also Daniel. And his prayer request is that he would find a wife. <laughs> he doesn't have one. And specifically, that's what he said. I, I asked him, how can we be praying for you? And he said, I, I really want a wife and a family. And while we were, while we were talking, uh, somebody overheard us, and they still have a dowry system there where the, you know, the, the man pays to have a wife. And uh, the, he spoke up and he said, pray that he gets a 20-cow wife for a two-cow price. So there's, there's the part. That's the specific prayer. Here is the hallelujah guy, and just uh, like I said, just amazing guy, and the joy of the Lord just pours out of him. Notice that he's not much shorter than I am. There is a tribe uh, there in South Sudan, it's the Dinka tribe, and they are known for their tall, the, the, all the men in their tribe are very tall, and he is one of the members of that tribe. Here's another one I took with, with one, and here's a third one, so you can see they're, they're all there, and they're all part, like I said, of this Dinka tribe. Well, 10 minutes. I'm not there 10 minutes. And we're having our first session. They're inter- they're, he's, Wes is introducing us as the pastors that will be teaching them. The, and, and I got a nickname, 10 minutes there. And I don't know if you can read it, but it says White Dinka. So that was, <laughs> that was my nickname. 
This man, his name is Abraham, and Abraham and I became kind of close friends the time we were there. He sat right up front. He was always one of the first guys in there, and he would always stick around after everybody else would kind of break off just to talk with us as the pastors and to ask questions. And he said, he just loves God's word, like I said, and can't get enough of it. And he told me he would leave his gun behind going into battle before he'd leave his Bible. And just, a, just an amazing guy. And he asked that we would pray for peace and unity in Sudan. This man, Paul, what an amazing story this guy has. He is, again, these, all these chaplains, again, are not just, not just out, out there doing their chaplaincy work. They are fighting. They are involved in heavy battle in the wars that are going on there. And he, he was telling a story. Uh, he led a devotion one morning, and he was sharing the story that... Uh, one particular time, they were in very fierce battle with the enemy, and they needed to get around this mountain pass, and they could not because of this heavy rain. And their entire group felt that the rain was because the, the gods of the other men, the, the, the enemy, were greater than their gods, that they were somehow overpowering them, and this were evil things that were this rain. And Paul stood up and went to the commander and said, I need to pray to Almighty God because our God is greater. And the commander said, I never wanted any of you chaplains along in our group. As a matter of fact, when they said that they were going to send you, I resisted it. I don't want anything to do with you or your God. Paul said, well, I'm going to pray anyway. So he went and prayed, and the rain stopped. And you know what now? The commander, here, listen up though, the commander will not go into battle until Paul prays first now. (laughs) Amen. And Paul asked that we would pray for health and wisdom to unite the tribes, but I'd also like to ask you to pray for Paul's family, because Paul's family have have been displaced because the fighting was very close to their home, so they had to flee as refugees into Uganda. He has not seen his wife and kids, seven kids, in uh, in over two years, and he has a two-year-old daughter he's never met. So keep them in prayer as well. By the way, we're going to put these prayer requests on the prayer chain, so if you're on the prayer chain, you'll get them. If you're not on the prayer chain, you can get it. Just go to the website and sign up to be a part of the prayer chain, but all of these will be put out on there as well. Um, Next, uh, this man on the right in the blue shirt, his name is Boutros. He's a pastor um, in the Nuba Mountains, which is about a three-day walk and journey to get to where we were, and he came down to be a part of this conference that we had because his son is the one in the camouflage there. His name's Emmanuel. Um, Boutros is a pastor up in the Nuba Mountains and, and loves God and loves his word, but came down to be refreshed and, and listen. And, and he actually grabbed Joe and I after the first few days and asked us to come and pray with him in the back. And so we prayed with him and prayed for the ministry that he has there. And he goes, and I want you to pray about and, and to come back and teach at the Bible school that I want to start up in the Nuba Mountains. So that's his prayer request, is that, 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 would, that, that God would bless that ministry that he has going there and get that, get that going. Here is... Michael, uh, he is the pastor of Calvary Chapel Nimely, and uh, uh, just a great guy. He kind of runs the compound when Wes isn't there. Really neat man of God. Uh, lastly, as far as the uh, chaplains, I'd like you to be praying for this young man. His name is Jaffer. He was my translator the whole time I was there, and uh, really got close with him. Really neat young man, and uh, loves God and serves God. They came in, as I mentioned, these guys, about 150 of them, were brought in to relax, to rest, to be encouraged, to just soak in the word of God. He got, on Sunday morning, 
for Calvary Chapel Nimely when they came in, he jumped up and started serving in the children's ministry. He's leading them, helping them lead in worship. He's teaching their class at the children's ministry class. It just so blessed me to see that, um, like I said, and getting to know him over that two weeks really have a, has a special place in my heart. He's not married. He's got a fiance. They're planning to get married, and he showed me a picture of her, and I said, I got to take that. I got to take a picture of that. Check that out. And how cool is that? He's like the James Bond of South Sudan, you know? <laughs> so, <laughs> but his name is, is Jaffer, and I said, keep him in prayer. God uses him in a mighty way. Well, I also had the privilege of, of teaching the Sunday morning message at, the, at Calvary Chapel Nimely. Um, and so I want to share with you a bit of the worship that goes on there on Sunday mornings. <laughs> at this time. It was, it was amazing. That went on for two hours. Yes. Two hours. It started out at the beginning with, with just the adults in there singing, and there was pro- it was probably, I don't know, half to three quarters full, and then it filled up very quickly, and then the children came in after about 15, 20 minutes, and they led worship for about a half an hour, and then those, those youth came in, and they led worship for about a half an hour. And that was after, close to, towards the end. And you could see they're still just so full of joy and singing, and it was just amazing. The service lasted about three hours, no air conditioning. Don't be fooled by this picture. Those ceiling fans moved about this fast. I mean, it was <laughs> provided no relief whatsoever. But it, nobody wanted to leave. It was, it was just such a joyous experience. I had, this was, uh, when I got up and it was my, t- my turn to teach, I, I had everybody wave to you back here at home so that I could share that with you. But just, a, just an amazing time. Just what a, what a blessing and what a great group of people. Just loved, just loved every minute of it. At the end of the service, a bunch of the kids came up to me and they were just looking up at me, you know, this white dinka. And so I took a picture, picture with the kids and... Then I went over to the children's ministry where my friend Jaffer was teaching, and I had them wave to you as well. So that was the, the kids in their classroom. Well, that'll, that's our, my slide presentation. Thanks for sitting through that. But <laughs> Thank you for your prayers, and continue to pray for, for those chaplains and their requests and for the, the, the war that is going on there, that that would end soon. And uh, it's... Uh, Really a, a neat group of people. Large, big part of my heart's left there. So, All right, well, if you don't, as I mentioned at the beginning, open up to Matthew chapter 12. We'll continue our Bible study here this morning. Matthew chapter 12, verse 22. As we move into our study today, if you'll remember, it was a few weeks ago now since we were in Matthew, that Jesus uh, where we left off, Jesus had been, had been teaching and healing on the Sabbath, and that, that really upset the Pharisees, and, and they are trying to now, you know, again, find evidence to come against Jesus. It tells us that they want to destroy him. So let's look back a little bit here in verse 15. It says, but Jesus, aware of this, 
withdrew from there. Many followed him, and he healed them all. As a, as a beginning into our study today, we notice that Jesus, the, all, a lot of these people followed him, many followed him, and all of those who needed healing, who came to him for healing, it says that he healed them all. And we can look at that and kind of lose sight of the fact that, that Jesus cares individually and personally for every need. We can hear that, see that statement, he healed them all, and kind of lump everything together in our own mind. But nothing is lumped together with Jesus. He cares personally and intimately for every one of us. He cares personally and intimately for every desire, every concern, every care of ours. And we see that now as we move forward in our, in our, our study today in verse 22. We, it focuses in on one specific man. We don't have a record of all of them. John tells us in his gospel that if it were recorded, everything that Jesus did, all of the individual things that he did, there wouldn't be enough volumes in the world to carry it all. But here we do get a glimpse into one. It says, verse 22, Then a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute was brought to Jesus, and he healed him so that the mute man spoke and he saw. This man having physical problems. It says that he's blind. It says that he cannot speak. But his greatest problem is his spiritual problem. He is, he is demon-possessed. He is under the control of the evil one. And we know that as the Bible tells us, John tells us in 1 John chapter 5, that the entire world is in this same condition, under the power of the evil one. The world that, that does not know a relationship with Jesus is under the power of the enemy. In Ephesians, Paul says in chapter 2 that we all, all of us, were once like that. We all were in that same condition. But two of my favorite words in Ephesians chapter 2, but God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. We were all in this condition, as this individual man was, and as John tells us, the world was, under, under the control of the evil one, all in that condition, coming to Jesus, as this man did, radically and totally changed. We see that he was brought to Jesus. I like that. Something that we can't quickly overlook. Somebody brought this man to Jesus. Somebody brought you to Jesus. Somebody brought me to Jesus. And the question that I have to ask myself and I will ask you is, who are you supposed to bring to Jesus? We need to be praying about that. Lord, who would you have me bring to you? Who do you want me to share with today? Give me those divine appointments and Lord, make me sensitive to those things. That, that I might be the one, the vessel that you would use to make that introduction. Somebody did that. Somebody cared enough about this man to bring him to Jesus. And we see that Jesus healed him. And when Jesus heals, he doesn't do it halfway. <laughs> it's a complete healing. This man is completely healed. We see that he is able, not only that this demon leaves, but he is now able to speak and he is able to see there is evidence of his healing. There's fruit because it says that he spoke and he saw. 
How, how silly would it be if this man, Jesus, now uh, takes the blinders off of him. He's able to see, but he says, you know what? I'd rather walk around with my eyes closed now. Or Jesus gives him the ability now to speak. He heals that, but he decides to walk around and never say anything. There's no, there's no evidence. There's no fruit. There needs to be fruit in a life that Jesus changes. There needs to be that, that evidence Jesus said if you, in, in chapter, chapter 5 that as believers, he challenges us in verse 16 that we are to let our light shine in such a way before men that they might see our good works and glorify the Father in heaven. That, that this, this evidence in our life should be such that people see it, notice it, and give glory to God. And we can see that that's what happens here. People see what happened to this man because he started speaking, that he could, he could see, and there was evidence that his sight had been restored to him. And notice what they say. Verse 23, it says, all the crowds were amazed and were saying, this man cannot be the son of David, can he? Their, their reaction is one of amazement, complete astonishment. They realize that something is radically different from this guy than when he came. We don't know anything else about how he was acting, but I'm sure it was, it was pretty crazy. His actions are different. He's able to see. He's able to speak. They can't explain it. There's, there's, no, other, there's no other way to look at this and, and say other than this man did something. And then the question comes, could he be the Messiah? It can't really be him, can it? Why? The reason they're asking this question is because they had a view in their mind of the Messiah, something totally different than what Jesus was. They saw the Messiah as the one that is going to come and, and break the bonds and the oppression of Rome, that he would be like this military leader that would come in and restore them as a world power. And that's not Jesus' mission. And so they're wondering, could this be? Could this be the one? And so often... When we, when we show the evidence of, of a changed life, especially to those who knew us before, those questions will come up too. The question, questioning, is it Jesus that did that to you? And the reason is, is because they have misconceptions about Jesus as well. They believe that, that if, we follow, if we follow the Lord, if, we, if you follow Jesus, your life is going to be boring. It's not going to be any fun. I'm going to have to give up all of my fun in my life in order to follow Jesus. And when they see the joy in our lives, when they see stuff like that, the joy that is in their lives, even though there's so much else that, that, would, that would say, where, where, why would you have joy in your life and yet you can still have that and you can have this abundant life in Jesus? They're like, wait a second, that's not the Jesus I thought. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't expect that it to be anything like that. These men... Women, as they are seeing this, they question because they had a different, a different idea of Jesus, but they see the miracles. They see the changed lives, and they're astonished. They're not the only ones who saw it, and others who did had a very different reaction. Verse 24, but when the Pharisees heard this, they said, this man casts out demons only by Beelzebub, the ruler of demons. <laughs> the religious leaders they have a very different reaction. They're not amazed. They're filled with even more rage and jealousy. 
as they, as they see Jesus continuing to do these amazing things, and they see more and more people now questioning, could this really be the Messiah? And so they come up with this absolutely absurd statement. He's not doing that by the power of God. He's doing it by the power of Satan. They didn't agree with their fellow Pharisee, Nicodemus, who came to Jesus one night and said, we know you have to be from God. The things that you do, nobody could do those things unless they were from God. These Pharisees didn't agree with that. They, they, they said the exact opposite. They came up with this absolutely nonsensical statement. And we face those things as Christians. When we give credit to the Lord Jesus for our life, for the joy that we have, we're often ridiculed. People look at us and say, oh, that's crazy. You believe that Bible, a bunch of writings by man and, and, and all this kind of stuff, and all, of the, all of the discrepancies and all of the da-da-da-da-da. If you weren't here last week, Charlie Campbell was here and he shared with us seven evidences that the word that we hold in our hand is the word of God. If you missed that, I would, I would recommend that when we get them, they sold out already, we, we'll get some more, that we have DVDs of that. It's, we don't have to apologize for, for what we believe. There is evidence that we hold the word of God in our hand. But yet, we will still meet that resistance still meet with absolutely absurd statements, just like the statement here. How many have ever heard that, that question when they find out that you're a Christian and they ask, oh, okay, okay, you believe in God? Could God ever build a rock that is so heavy he couldn't lift it? How, 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 how dumb is that? But that's what they come with their, with their argument. Bottom line, same thing with these men here in our story. It's a pride issue. It's a jealousy issue. It's a realization that if it is true, if Jesus is who he says he is, they're in big trouble. They, need, they, they realize that if he is who he says he is, that means that they need to make him Lord of their life and they want to be Lord of their life. They want to be in control. If they believe that Jesus is who he says he is, then he's the creator and we're accountable to that creator and they want nothing to do with that. So they continue to push back and they continue to fight back and come up with ridiculous things. Maybe you've heard... The story of the little child who was in class one day and he was talking with one of his friends about Jonah, the story of Jonah that he'd heard in Sunday school the day before. And his teacher overheard him, his teacher's an atheist, and he came up to him and he says, you don't really believe that a man named Jonah was swallowed by a large fish and lived in his belly for three days. You don't really believe that, do you? And he says, I sure do. He goes, why would you believe that? He says, because the Bible says it. He says, you believe everything that's in the Bible? He goes, of course I do. And he goes, you're really going to tell me that a man lived in the belly of a fish for days? And the little kid finally goes, well, I tell you what, when I get to heaven, I'll ask him if it really happened. And the teacher, in a smart aleck tone, said, well, what if he's not in heaven? And the kid says, well, then you ask him. It's a heart issue. It's a, it's, it's, it's a heart issue. In these, in these Pharisees, in the, in the world that we come against so often, it's, it's because their hearts are hard. And Jesus, it says in verse 25, and knowing their thoughts, Jesus said to them, any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste. 
And any city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? If I, by Beelzebub, cast out demons, by whom do your sons cast them out? For this reason, they will be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Jesus introduces to us here in verse 28 the kingdom of God, and we're going to talk about that over the next few weeks as Jesus talks in parables and in that kingdom of God. But he focuses in before then to, again, expose how ludicrous their statement is. And, and this idea that a kingdom that is divided against itself can't stand. It will fall apart. The, a, a nation that is divided within itself by war can't continue. We know that. We had, a, we had a civil war in our own country, and it tore our country apart. Those, those guys over in Sudan, that is what's happening there. We've seen it much closer to home, too, and in families, families that are torn apart because of greed, because of pride. And, and well, by far the most grievous is when the body of Christ is torn apart for petty things, battles with, within the church, how that must grieve the Holy Spirit. It's hugely important to Jesus to have his church united, not divided in any way. As a matter of fact, it's so important, he spoke to it very specifically. Turn back to chapter 5 in Matthew. If you'll remember, when we cut, studied through this section on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says in verse 21, You have heard that the ancients were told, You shall not commit murder. And whoever commits murder shall be liable in the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, You good for nothing, shall be guilty before the supreme court. And whoever says, You fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Therefore... If you are presenting your offering at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go first be reconciled to your brother, then come and present your offering. That's how important it is to Jesus. He's saying before you come and worship, you go and make sure that things are right. You go, if, there's, if your brother has anything against you, you go and make sure that it's right. It's hugely important. When one of the things that I found out when I was over meeting with the chaplains, when I was there, they were, they, they, as I mentioned, they brought chaplains back in who had already gone through the one year of Bible training that they do. They go through Genesis through Revelation in, in just intense fashion over the course of a year studying the Word of God. But when they first get there for that, they are coming from all of these different tribes, and many of these tribes have been fighting against each other, even in South Sudan, for, for many years. And there's a lot of animosity even between the tribes as they fight together against North Sudan. And so when they first come together, Joe was telling me that they even had to break up some physical fist fights between these chaplains that are coming together at the beginning. But... As they studied God's word together and prayed together, they became united. 
And now they do not refer to themselves as members of the Dinka tribe or all of these other tribes. They all refer to themselves as members of the tribe of Judah. Powerful. And I want to teach you a little Arabic. Fight the good fight is shakala shakala quest. Shakala shakala quest. Say it with me. Shakala shakala quest. Fight the good fight. I want to show you a little, another little short video. What tribe are you? they're not united, people die. If we're not united, eternal life is at stake for some. It's so important. It is so important. We have to be united. Lives depend on it. Eternal life depends on it. Our enemy is united. Our enemy is united in our destruction. We need to be united in the ministry that we have been called to. We've been given the ministry of reconciliation, Paul tells us. We need to be reconciled with one another, and then we need to reconcile the world with its creator. We need to ask ourselves the question, whose kingdom are we building? If we are focused on building the kingdom of God, we cannot be divided. And by the way, Jesus knows our thoughts and our hearts. Look, he says, knowing their thoughts, verse 25. He understands our thoughts, our hearts, behind every action. It says in Hebrews chapter 4, there's no creature hidden from his sight. All things are open and laid bare before his eyes. Say it, you know, it's said that you can fool all of the people some of the time and some of the people all of the time. You can't fool Jesus any of the time. <laughs> Guys, time is way too short. Time is way too short to have differences between one another. So I would, I would pray that if the Lord lays on your heart somebody today, you go and make it right with them. Because again, we got work to do. And the enemy is serious. We need to be serious. Well, Jesus continues to point out the absurdity of their statement in verse 29. It says, or how can anyone enter the strong man's house and carry off his property unless he first binds the strong man and then he will plunder his house? Now, if you take this verse out of the context with which it is and just look at it standing alone, a lot of people can take this in a whole lot of different directions. We need to leave it in the context of what is going on here, and that is Jesus casting out demons. Jesus coming and fighting against the enemy. Remember, he's been accused of fighting with Satan. Jesus is pointing out the absurdity of that statement. Jesus is, is basically saying that he, he came to rescue lost sinners one at a time. I love, the again, the, the, the story or the, the statement that Jesus made when he, at, at Caesarea Philippi. 
when, when he says, who do, who do men say that I am? And they had various answers to that. He said, but who do you say that I am? Peter spoke up, said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon, because that didn't come from man. That came from the Father. He gave that information to you. And he said, and on that statement, on that truth, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not be able to stand up against it. Gates are put up to keep some people out and other people in. Jesus is saying that he, as the, as the Christ, will blow those gates down. It is he that will bind the strong man. He will bind Satan and take away his property. Our risen king, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, almighty God. I've done this before, I know. It's been a while, maybe. I did this with the, the chaplains there, but it, it, it proves a point. It's the opposite game. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say a word, you say the opposite. Good. Sweet. Light. Satan. The opposite of Satan is not Jesus. The opposite of Satan is Gabriel. They are both created angelic beings. Jesus is the creator of all of them. Jesus has no equal. He has no opposite. He is all-powerful, almighty God. Hebrews tells us this, though. Hebrews chapter 2. Therefore, since the children, that is us, share flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all of their lives. Jesus had to become a man in order to destroy the prison that held us. He had to become one of us. That word share in our text there is the Greek word koinonia. You've probably heard that word before. It means fellowship. It means communion. It means partnership. It means having something in common with. That word there in the text in Hebrews for part, that it's translated partook means to take hold of something that is not naturally or in your normal nature. We by nature, our flesh and blood. Jesus was not. Jesus, by nature, is divine. We are not. He became flesh and blood, lived a perfect, sinless life, and died on the cross in our place to pay our sin debt so that we could partake of the divine nature. That's what Peter says. 2 Peter chapter 1, for by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may par become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. I'm not, Charlie Campbell last week, again Sunday night, spoke of the, the Mormon religion, the Mormon belief that we are all, we are all will become gods like God someday. That is not what I'm saying or what Peter is saying. <laughs> Peter is underscoring what Paul said about the mystery that has been revealed to us, Christ in us, the hope of glory. But the power over us had to be broken. The prison that held us had to be destroyed. Sin gives 
power to the enemy. The power that he has, the weapon that he uses is death. Physical death, spiritual death, and the fear of death, as it is stated in Hebrews. We are slaves to that fear, it says, all of our lives. So Jesus had to destroy Satan and take away his weapon, death, by a much more powerful weapon, eternal life. And again, the weapons are nowhere close to each other either. Death, eternal life. It's like Satan is fighting with a slingshot and Jesus has nuclear warheads. It's not, it's not a battle. Darkness and light don't have a battle before light all of a sudden wins. You just turn the light on and darkness is gone. But you can't have eternal life without resurrection. You can't have resurrection without death. You can't have death without living as a man. That's why Jesus did what he did. That's why Jesus stepped out of heaven, took on flesh and blood, lived among us, faced every temptation that we do, yet without sin, and then took that sinless life willingly to the cross, shedding his blood for us. He went through it completely and came out victoriously three days later when he rose from the dead, kicking Satan's teeth in <laughs> so that we don't have to fear anymore. We don't have to be bound by that prison of the fear of death because he's been rendered powerless now. Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? We can be like Paul that says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Bring it on. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. Well, verse 30, as we close, Jesus says, he who is not with me is against me. He who does not gather with me scatters. Jesus very clearly states there is no third option. There's no neutral ground. You can't say, you know, I'm just going to sit this one out. You know, I, I, I'm not going to pick a side. I'm just going to go right along. Jesus said, if that is your attitude, you are against me. You are either fully in, in the camp with Jesus or you are on the outside. There is, there's no neutrality. No one foot in, one foot out. And there's only one way to be in the camp with Almighty God. Jesus said, John 14, 6, you, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And the only way to come through Jesus is, again, with complete surrender. we got to wave the white flag. Say, I give up. I'm done fighting. I'm done doing things my way. Jesus, I'm fully in camp with you. And if you're here today and you have never surrendered your life to Jesus, you have never fully trusted in him, you might even be here and you've been in church your whole life, but you do that one foot in, one foot out, and think you're, think you're doing all right with that. You're not. You're fooling yourself. You are deceiving yourself. Jesus says very clearly, you're either fully in or you're fully out. And if that is you, you need to realize that you're fighting a losing battle. And not only is it a losing battle, the battle ultimately has already been lost on that side. Jesus, when he hung and died on the cross, he said, it is finished. It's done. And you need to realize that. You need to confess your current situation. In your heart, you just go before God and you say, God, I, 
I recognize that. You just respond to the Holy Spirit right now speaking to your heart and you confess that. Realize you're on the losing side. You need to lay down your weapons, your self-righteousness, the things that you think you're doing that is gonna, that are, that's going to get you into heaven someday. You need to put that all down. We had on Friday, Friday morning, a memorial service for a, a dear saint, dear friend, A.J. Cowper, many of you know her. She served in our church so faithfully for years. Served in our children's ministry. Led many young children to know Jesus as their Savior. She did, at her memorial service, so many things shared about the Bible studies that she led and the, the, the classes that she led and was always, always just such a, such a servant. A.J. Cowper is in heaven today. But it's not because of any Bible study she led. It's not because of, of any good that she did. None of that matters. A.J. Cowper is in heaven today because she surrendered her life to Jesus. She put all of her self-righteousness down, and she had plenty of it, but she recognized that even the best that we can do on our end is nothing but filthy rags to Jesus. We need to surrender, lay down our weapons, lay down our self-righteousness, and be clothed in his righteousness. That is the only way. We need to put our name on the peace treaty. There is, there is, he is the mediator between God and man. There is, he he, he took care of all of the conditions in order for peace to be made between God and man. But we need to sign on that peace treaty. We need to put our name there. We need to receive the free gift that he paid for. Perhaps you heard in 1972, 1972, Decades after the World War II ended, a Japanese soldier was found on a deserted island in the Pacific Ocean, still fighting the war. He was still building barricades. He was still going to fend off the Americans if they came. Decades after the war was over, he missed out on the recovery of Japan and all of these things. He had no idea that they'd lost the war, but he still kept fighting. What a shame. What a bigger shame if he knew the war was over yet kept fighting. And if you're here today and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, you know I'm talking to you. The Holy Spirit is bearing witness to your heart right now. You are that man. You are that woman. You are in that same position. The war is over. But you're still continuing to fight. So if that is you, surrender. It's time to, it's time to put it down. And for those of us who have embraced Jesus as our Lord and Savior, guys, time is short. Time is short. My time over in South Sudan taught me many things, but a couple of them that he taught me is these, these little things that we squabble about, so senseless. So senseless. There are people dying and going to hell all around us. And we're fighting over these little things. And we complain about an awful lot that we have no right to complain about. We are so blessed. But be encouraged. I'm not here to lay a big guilt trip on you. <laughs> There's tons of grace. <laughs> but we need to recognize. Just need to recognize it and say, God, forgive me. Use me. If there's anybody, anybody 
And, and allow the Holy Spirit to do that work here this morning as we close. If there's anybody that has anything against you or you hold anything against that person, especially if they are a believer, take care of that today. Not tomorrow, today. Let's pray. Lord, thank you.